This episode of The Matt Ferret Show is brought to you by the Brickhouse Agency. Brickhouse is a boutique independent health insurance agency that focuses on finding the right Medicare coverage for folks across the country. Matt's wife, Nikki, is the heart behind Brickhouse. She's great at making confusing things clear and is passionate about helping people find a Medicare insurance policy that suits their individual needs. To schedule a free one-on-one appointment with Nikki or a member of her team, head on over to BrickhouseAgency.com or simply call 844-844-6565 and someone will help you schedule a phone call or a Zoom meeting. The consultation is free because the insurance companies pay Brickhouse, not you. There's never any pressure or obligation to enroll. Your clearer, simpler Medicare journey is just a call or click away. BrickhouseAgency.com Not affiliated with or endorsed by the government or federal Medicare program. Contacting Brickhouse Agency, LLC will direct you to a licensed insurance agent. Hello, everyone. This is Matt Ferret, author of Prepare for Medicare and Prepare for Social Security Insider's Guidebooks and Online Course Training Series. Welcome to another episode of The Matt Ferret Show, where I interview insiders and experts to help light a path to successful living in midlife, retirement, and beyond. Bronwyn, welcome to the show. Thank you. So tell everybody what you do, how long you've been doing it, and how you help people. I am a licensed psychotherapist. Um, I'm also a podcaster and uh, I am also an anger expert and that means like relationships. So that's kind of my area of expertise. I've been doing it for this, this second act of my life uh, for about 10 years. Before that, I was doing a lot of counseling, but not as a licensed therapist. So I just decided to go back to school in my 40s and become a licensed therapist instead of an unlicensed therapist. I won't go into that rabbit hole right now. I was going to say, you're giving a lot of advice and then went, oh gosh, let me go get uh, get licensed and certified. Well, I was doing nutrition. And so oh. when you start fidgeting with people's eating habits, you're bringing up a lot of emotions and a lot of baggage and you end up doing more therapy, but you don't know what you're doing if you're not <laughs> trained. So that was kind of that. that makes a lot of sense. I have some some friends that do, you know, like life coaching and, and you know, career transition coaching, and they all say the same thing. It ends up being some sort of therapy, whether or not you intend to it or not. Kind of everything ends up being some sort of therapy if you go deep enough. But yes, like any kind of change. Yes. And so you specifically uh, help people with anger. I mean, that's kind of where I've landed as an expert, um, I would say, because I feel like that's where most people are least informed and most actually misinformed. Anger comes from relationships and it is most uh, prominent in relationships where we feel like someone has a responsibility towards us, like where we feel like we should trust them. So, you know our parents, um, our loved ones, people in our life. We can get angry at someone who cuts us off on the freeway, but it's not the same kind of anger because we don't really have a big expectation on that person. So we feel kind of entitled to that anger at the time. We can get angry at the person who cuts us off and we're fine with it. But the people we love, 
you know, when they don't live up to their ex our expectations, kind of implicit expectations, when they don't deliver, when they fail us, we do feel angry, but we don't feel entitled to feel angry. We feel afraid of our own anger because that might end in their emotional abandonment of us, their rejection of us, um, their anger back at us. That's scary to display that anger. Maybe we were taught growing up that it's not okay to be angry, that we're just supposed to forgive and forget and move on. And that's not really possible for humans. So the anger's there and we're not allowed to channel it in a healthy way by being assertive, like saying, hey, please don't talk like that to me. If we can't do that, if we can't have that assertive speech and that boundary, if that's not allowed and we're not entitled to do that, we do have the anger, but it just stays in our body. And it's what I call repressed anger. And that creates depression and anxiety and mania and psychosis and all those things. Okay. So maybe I'm trying to figure out. So obviously... <laughs> I bet you've had this a lot before. I'm sitting here thinking about the word anger and and my anger towards other people or other things in my life. Um, yeah. Probably like everybody else is listening to or, or watching as well. So what's the best way to approach this? Is it by age or stage? So maybe do we start with childhood? Perhaps is it is it when you're in childhood? Does it start that early or is it really more around um, um, later? I, I would assume maybe. Well, we, our relationship to anger is what we learn in childhood. And we carry that relationship to anger with us throughout all of our relationships, the rest of our life, unless we consciously examine our relationship with anger. And that takes reflection and introspection and like a pause and kind of an objective look at ourselves. And not everyone can pull that off. That's hard to do. Um, not all therapists are good at that. Honestly, I became a therapist myself because I became very depressed and I really needed a good therapist and all the therapists I went to, even though I was barely functioning at the time, I kept thinking, I know I could do a better job than these guys. <laughs> so even a lot of therapists can kind of betray us and not help us because they don't understand, um, the dynamics of what's going on. So um, we learn our relationship to anger though in childhood. So if we're taught it's bad, it's sinful, we're gonna go to hell, or if we learn it implicitly by watching dad rage and maybe be violent with his words or violent with his behavior, we learn implicitly anger, bad, anger, dangerous, stay away, no anger. But those are both like extreme responses all humans get angry. And when you think about it, of course, we're going to be angry a lot because anger happens whenever the real deviates from the ideal, which is about 23 hours a day, if we're honest, right? Like yeah. the real very little, you know, aligns with the ideal. And so we're going to be angry. We're going to be frustrated. We're going to feel let down by people. That's like a normal human phenomenon on planet earth. So it's not bad. It's not evil. It's not dangerous. It's not wicked to be angry. And I think the first um, step towards health is just knowing it's okay to be angry. You know, we don't need to manage anger. So again, getting back to 
a lot of the professionals teach you to manage anger. I hate that word. I hate the term manage anger because that implies that it's problematic. I see, and it can be problematic. Of course, anger can be problematic again, if it, if we don't channel in a healthy way, but I see anger as like a light on the dashboard of our car saying, Hey, check the engine, something's wrong. So what if we saw anger as a sign that something's wrong in our life? Something's really amiss and needs to be rectified. So let's take a look at what relationship we're feeling in our lives is creating this anger where we need a boundary, where we need assertiveness. Um, we don't manage the dashboard of our car by just ignoring it or managing it and, you know, thinking it's a bad thing. So not to, I'm going to get away from childhood for a second, but how would I, as an adult, how do I recognize whether or not I had a healthy or unhealthy attitude towards anger myself? Do I look back to the childhood or I do, you know, what my mom and dad did, for example, or didn't do? Um, and then how do I know if I've got a healthy attitude towards anger? Well, you don't need to look very far. You look at how you interact with anger on a day-to-day -day basis now. So, um, you know, some people can only access their real legitimate angry feelings when they get drunk. We've all seen that. We all know that that happens. What if that person learned it's okay to be angry in the present and use their words in a healthy, safe way? So again, um, that's not going to work with everyone because if I'm not a safe, if you, Matt, have a problem with me and you're going to, you're working with a therapist and the therapist is helping you use your words, communicate your problem with me directly. But if I'm not a safe person for you, if I, when you tell me, you know, Bronwyn, I'm really frustrated because, you know, every time we go out, you do this. If I'm not open to hearing what you have to say, I might gaslight you. I might defend myself. I might make you out to be the problem and in my defense, right? And so I'm not a safe person for you to communicate your frustration with in words. Um, not everyone is a safe person, but if we can find a safe person who can say, yeah, Matt, that's not okay. That's not okay. Your anger is valid. Um, and legitimate, and you can have a boundary with Bronwyn, even if Bronwyn doesn't like the boundary, you can go ahead and have that boundary because it's not okay that she's refusing to hear this, right? So, so yeah, just look at how you're relating to anger today with the people in your life. You know, you mentioned that a little road rage incident, right? Somebody cut you mm -hmm. off in traffic and then, or, you know, you've got, you know, something didn't go your way and you got anger, angry. Is there a difference between, and if so, how do I recognize this, between annoyance, uh, true anger? I mean, I think, you know, if you hear someone yelling at the top of their lungs, natural reaction is, ooh, they're really angry. Or they're taking some sort of, you know, in their car, right? They're cutting you off. They're flipping you the bird. I mean, those are, we go, ah, they're very angry. Or they have an anger problem. Um, what other things are markers out there that someone's got an anger issue, you know, bo bottling it up inside for a month or two and then letting it explode or, uh, burying it. What are those signs of having an anger? How do I know if I have an anger problem? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, you're saying the obvious ones are the people who do intentionally cut you off or give you the bird on the freeway. It's easy to say, oh, he has an anger problem, right? But how do we know for the rest of us? And I would say, do you have a depression problem? Do you have an eating problem, a relationship with food? Do you have a, a pornography problem? Do you have anything that's compulsive or addictive in your life? Or are you struggling with anxiety, depression, panic attacks? Um, mania. Uh, all of those things are really indicators of an underlying anger problem. Again, suppressed anger. Hoarding is a big one as well, but there's a lot. Can we take one of those and, and unpack that a bit? Um, um, let's just take, let's take hoarding, the last one you said. Mm -hmm. If I see, I mean, levels of hoarding, right? There's, there's the t on TV show type hoarding, but then there are other ones as well. Mm -hmm. What's the link between hoarding and, and anger? Uh, yeah. So I, well, yeah, let me think through that. I see more hoarding linked to shame. Okay. Then anger per se, but and shame and anger are related. related. Yeah. Shame. I was sorry. Yes, I think I said are. the same thing over you, which is and and shame and anger are related. What I think when you're asking about hoarding, I think, yes. So I think the, the shame that I see when I look at hoarding is shame of that person's legitimate anger. <laughs> okay. Um, Does that make sense? They, no. They're very angry and they feel, <laughs> I, think, I think the people I've seen who do hoarding are very angry and they feel like they're not allowed or entitled to feel the anger at the true source. And so they feel shame and I see hoarding as kind of manifestation of that. So in hoarding is keeping uh, items and tokens of uh, uh, times past. It's keeping things of little to no value, but somehow having this compulsion to, you know, not collect because that would, that would assume you're collecting something like baseball cards, but it's just kind of keeping mm -hmm. stuff close and keeping things around for one day I might use it or I can't throw it away because it reminds me of X. And you're saying that that, that is, you've seen that in like a, a shame way um, that they're ashamed of the yeah. hoarding or they have shame there that they have to kind of surround themselves with physical things. I don't think the shame is of anything that in the present. I think they have anger from something in the past and they have shame about that anger and that's what we're seeing when we see hoarding so another common one is you know a relationship with food whether we're using food to self-medicate overly or you know i see also depriving ourselves of food is a relationship uh to food that embodies anger it's kind of taking out the anger on ourselves and that's what we do. That's the thing with suppressed anger. It's, it's stuck in our body. We're not the true source of that anger, but we don't feel entitled to direct it at the true source or even entitled to feel the anger. And so it's stuck in us and it turns in on us. So we're kind of now taking out the anger on ourselves unintentionally. So it's anger turns into some sort of degree of self-loathing then. Mm -hmm. shame, self-hatred. Yes. Does this add up over time? 
um or does it start and that's the way you since you've you know if you were raised or saw anger and how to handle anger as a as a kid or in your family unit or even as a younger adult um you've you've processed it dealt with it or not dealt with it does this kind of you know back up against a dam and then finally breaks or is there no breakage um and and does this happen over a lifetime or does it you know i've you know i've been around people who would let it build up and then just one day ah it's a, they exploded it's a, they explode right and then sometimes that's yeah. a release and then sometimes you know then you know like oh god when's it going to happen again you know is how are, are those the ways people hang you know handle it is it a build up or is it episodic you know uh well, that's this a person good question. Yeah, yeah this person's angry now something happens and then it goes away but then it'll happen again tomorrow or again next week or again are there different types of that anger and that release or that handling or or not handling it well yeah, that's a really good question. I think there are a lot of people who just explode seemingly randomly. Um, and I would say they're triggered, but usually who they're exploding at is not the true source of the anger. And that's scary. That's really scary. Um, oftentimes it's children who really are not at all the true source of the anger. And it's really, really unfair to the children. What about um, what about parents, parents and anger? Um, you know, there's I don't know. It's one of these common colloquialisms, like you, you know, you. Every parent always screws up their kids. They just don't how which way until later. Um, is there um, is there a relationship between you know your parents, not only just the how you were raised, but on into adulthood that you that you've got um, you know how do you recognize if you've got anger issues around your parents or some sort of resentment around that? Uh, well, I have never found a human who doesn't have some level of resentment at their parents because and 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 who wouldn't like we're all human, of course our parents, of course if we're honest. If we can be honest and we can know that it's okay to feel feelings, feelings aren't good or bad or right or wrong. They're involuntary. We can't help them. They're not the equivalent of our behaviors. We can judge our behaviors. We can have responsibility for our behaviors, but feelings, they're just feelings. Um, so if we can have that kind of attitude and relationship to our feelings and to our anger, I think we'd all say we're resentful, you know, at our parents um, because they do fail us because we're human. And I know I have failed my daughter and she lets me know that she's 19 and she definitely lets me know that. And I say, <laughs> you're right. I'm sorry. Um, so, you know, yeah, we're resentful with our parents and our parents might never hear us out. They might never say you're right. I'm sorry. They might not do that. They might not be willing to do that, but we can still have boundaries with our parents. We can still say, you know, I feel resentful and nothing's changed. And this is still going on, even though I'm an adult now. And therefore I'm going to have a boundary around this. I'm going to, you know, not share as much with you because I, I feel like you tell everyone and their dog and that's not okay. So I'm going to, have a boundary. We don't need to tell them we're having a boundary. We can just have the boundary. In in a situation like that, how do you know whether or not you being the angry 19-year-old um, is, is 
being angry at mom um, for something. Um, and it's really, I don't know, I'm going to use the word fault, which is probably not, it's not a good word, but how come maybe if the anger is misplaced and really, I don't know, shouldn't be angry at mom for that? It wasn't that big of a deal. You shouldn't be angry. Or is that just not a thing? If you're angry, you're angry and there's no one's fault. It's just a human emotion. Yeah, I don't really like the word should around feelings, especially around anger. We hear that a lot. You shouldn't be angry. Like, right. yeah, why not? Why can't I be angry? It doesn't mean mom's evil. It doesn't mean mom was a horrible mom. It just means she's human, like all of us, just like I'm human, just like you're human. And she made some mistakes. And it's not about covering our mistakes and pretending to be perfect. It's about saying, you know what? Yeah, I did make some mistakes and it's hard to hear that, but I, I don't need to pretend I'm perfect. And I know I'm okay. I'm allowed to be human. And so I'm going to be human with you now. Thank you. What is the, what do you see or hear in your practice uh, or in your, um, your travels? Um, the um, relationship of, uh, or the, or anger in relationships, anger in uh, partner, husband, you know, spouse. Um, what what is the role that anger plays, um, and what's a healthy way to handle this, or even even identify it? The role of um, you know being a couple or being a spouse. Thank you for asking. That's a great question. Um, so I've been married just like a few days over twenty nine years now, and. Marriage is hard. And you know what would make it the hardest would be to pretend like we don't get angry at each other. That would just make it deathly impossible. Um, so let's not pretend. Let's learn how to do anger well. Let's learn how to be human. Let's learn how to be okay with being human for each other. Um, so I'm still on the learning curve with that, but I found humor is really helpful. I I like sarcasm. I'm a big fan of sarcasm, not like in a mean way, but kind of just like, oh, well, it looks like now's not a good time to have this conversation because I see you're checking your computer again. You know, just kind of like a little funny, you know, resentment being expressed. And and that works with my husband because, you know, it, it might not work with everyone, but I think humor is really imperative. I really do. And, and I need to have a, a sense of humor about about me because I'm of course going to fail him. Of course, I'm going to make mistakes. What if I think my spouse or, or, uh, um, partner, um, has an anger issue. How would I know that other than, well, he, he yells a lot and screams and scares me and, uh, you know, outward displays of this, or, you know, he keeps everything bottled up inside and his, you know, stress levels are out, you know, off the charts and he grumbles and, and he's, you know, depressed, not in a great mood. Um, how do I recognize that in someone I love? Well, I don't like the term anger problem because, you know, or even when we hear, oh, he's an angry person. You know, when I hear he's an angry person, I say, well, is he a breathing person? We're all breathing people and we all have anger. Um, so I don't really see it as a problem, but I would say, you know, it sounds like his relationship to anger is one where he either um, 
rages and like takes it out at something that's not really the true source or he withholds it in his body. So I, I like talking more about our relationship to anger and that can look different in different circumstances with different people. You know, we're, we're way kinder to complete strangers than we are to our own families. So, you know, that's, we're able to somehow, you know, act like we're not angry with other people and we don't do that with our families, right? So we have a relationship to anger that might change with the person we're with. And how do I recognize if I think I might have an, an issue with anger or an unhealthy relationship with anger? Um, yeah, so I would say, look at, you know, if you are bottling things in, um, do you allow yourself to start with, you know, are you allowing yourself to feel like it's okay to feel angry right now, or it's okay to feel resentful, even with someone that you love? Are you okay to admit that? Does that make you feel bad or guilty? Hmm. So that's that's looking inwardly. Um, are there things in my outward um, um, behavior that would maybe indicate that I might have an unhealthy relationship to anger? Yeah, so that would be more of the addictive um, activities or substances or compulsive behaviors well i think a lot of us have a lot of anger at ourselves like real anger towards ourselves um i think a lot of us betray ourselves trying to feel responsible for other people's feelings trying to not make other people angry trying to please other people like we call those pleasers there's a lot of pleasers the people who seek out therapy, majority of them are pleasers. The people who do not seek out therapy are not the pleasers. Um, so a lot of us though, when we're trying to manage other people's feelings because we feel responsible for other people's feelings, we betray ourselves. And we know that at some level, we know that at like an intuitive kind of gut level and we carry around a lot of anger towards ourselves when so when you move through life and you age um i guess there are some you know everyone deals in generalities a lot of times well you know it's you know the teen years are tough and right? in your in your late teens and 20s you're trying to make money you're trying to have a career you're trying to you know what's that old movie that bad movie the failure to launch movie right you don't want a failure to launch but sometimes you get to come home every once in a while and then you know, you move into some sort of job or vocation or career and and uh, perhaps, you know, marriage, family, divorce, you know, you kind of go through these, you know, potential things. And then everybody kind of says, oh, the golden years, right? When you retire, everything will be X. And gosh, you know, ever since dad or mom stopped working, they've been a different person because they're finally able mm -hmm. to do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. um, unaddressed anger. Uh, I'm sure mm -hmm. is a big thing all the way through through life. But does it also follow? I mean, I think we've also seen, I mean, I've I've personally seen older adults and I've interacted with them and I go, gosh, that guy's really angry. 
you know, you kind of think of older folks as being a bit more mature and have better perspective mm -hmm. and maybe more compassionate and maybe nicer, but that's not always the case. Um, what about, uh, is it unaddressed anger or is it something about the way our brain evolves or our relationship with the world and the people around us that, that gives everybody the sense that, well, you know, we've heard the right little old nice lady. Well, we just, nobody ever says little old mean lady on the porch. It's a little mm -hmm. old nice lady. What's the, is there a time in a, in a, in the age that anger subsides or that, um, or it doesn't? Oh, I wish anger like kind of phased out over our lifetimes, but I see the opposite where we get bitter, more bitter. Um, again, I'm going to say it comes back to a conscious choice to pause, to open our eyes to ourselves, reflecting on ourselves, introspection. You know, we hear a lot about meditation these days. I'm not a big fan of meditation because meditation is about clearing our minds. I don't think humans need to clear their minds. I think they need to make space in their minds for reflecting on their own feelings and behaviors, um, their own actions and the things that fuel those actions that, that we call, you know, introspection, pondering. Um, I think we need to create contemplation. We need to make space for that. And hopefully as we age, we can do that and we can come to a place where we say, you know what? I've kind of really, you know, made a lot of mistakes with my own kids and I'm going to be okay with being human. I'm going to be okay with admitting I'm not perfect. I'm going to be okay with myself and I have betrayed myself and I'm going to forgive myself and I'm going to do better now. And I'm going to admit to my own adult children, Hey, you know what? I wasn't raised where it was okay to be human. I was raised in an environment where I had to be perfect and create some kind of perfect persona. And I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to start being real and authentic and it's painful. I want you to know, but I do owe you an apology and I, I, I want to earn back your trust and I want to create an authentic relationship with you because I'm starting to have an authentic relationship with me. I would imagine that takes quite a bit of work for people to get there, especially the older and and quote unquote more successful or seasoned they are. Is it is it harder the old the older people get, or or is it harder than the younger areas? I'm not sure. It's really as much about age as kind of the environment we were shaped in. Um, I mean, I will say with younger people, you know, I'm in my fifties. With younger people, I do love that they can talk about having mental illness so freely and it's not stigmatized anymore. I love that. I wish my father, who's in his 80s, had that. Um, I love that there's letting go of some of these stigmas and people are kind of being really more authentic in general. Not everyone, but there's definitely a movement towards that, which I wish everyone had, had you know. Um, but... Yeah, so I don't think it's so much the age as it really what it is. I think what it really boils down to um, is humility. And sometimes we confuse humility with humiliation. Sometimes we say, oh, my God, if I admitted and if I reflected and if I like engaged in introspection and really looked at myself, I would it would kill me. 
and I'd be humiliated and it would just wipe me out. And what people need to know is no, no, it won't. Humility is not humiliation. It will not annihilate you. It'll refine you. It'll make you into renew you and regenerate you at any age. And humility is painful, but it's not annihilation. You know, you, you made mention of the, um, the stigma attached to therapy and I, you're exactly right there. It, there was one and to a certain degree, there still is one. And, I, and as you were saying that, I was thinking of that. Uh, yeah, sorry, it's an Adam Sandler movie from the early 2000s. It's called Anger Management. And he was sentenced, yeah. I think. I mean, I it's been 20 some odd years since I saw it, but I think it was basically he had court ordered anger management thing. And it's a, it, you know, which is punitive in nature. So even in even in the last 20 years, you know, people are thinking of anger management or anger therapy as, as some sort of punitive piece. What, but you're right, you know, in terms of uh, seeking mental health uh, treatment uh, and counseling, um, especially during and even post COVID, right. There's, there's silver lining to that in that people are reaching out and seeking things and taking stock and, and, and reaching out for that. And what stigmas around the anger piece are there are there different stigmas around these specific anger piece compared to just regular therapy or is there just an awareness problem yeah but i think the anger piece is still very much stigmatized um so the anger management unfortunately still happens and you know again to me anger is a symptom it's not the root problem the root problem is a relational problem that needs to be addressed. And if all we're doing is focusing on the symptom, I mean, that's what, I'm sorry, but that's what psychiatry really does, is it, it or even medicine today. It doesn't get to the root problem of what's causing the dysfunction. It manages symptoms and that makes a lot of money. Um, and people like that, it's just real quick. You, you don't have to change your lifestyle. You don't have to do any introspection. You just take a pill, but it doesn't work. Yeah, it's got to be a combination, right? But I do want to share my own personal story. So going back to when I first moved towards becoming a therapist, um, I fell into a very severe depression. And looking back, and I talk about this on my podcast, um, just now looking back, so this was like, you know, 13 years ago, um, I now see that my depressive episode, it was very severe. Um, I now see that it was absolutely my own suppressed anger from what was going on in my life and in my relationships. I absolutely see that. And now I see every depressive episode I've had in my life, however long or short, has all been suppressed anger. And you know, if someone had come around to me and said, hey, Bronwyn, you know, that's actually not okay that your supervisor is treating you like that and you can have a boundary and you are entitled to be angry about that. And you can just say, hey, I'm going to leave if I'm treated like this. I'm going to give you an ultimatum. If I had someone kind of just do that for me, I wouldn't have suffered a very severe depression for, you know, several years, actually. You know, you said that, and uh, as I was, as probably a lot of people are thinking about that, who, who am I, <laughs> who am I angry at? I mean, I don't, I know it's, it's hard to say, but I can 
when you said supervisor or boss, I can think of a few right now. As soon as you said that, I went pink, pink, and I could think of two people in my career that have, you know, if they were walking on the other side of the street, I might cross over and either do something or say something. Mm -hmm. And that's, I'm sure, suppressed anger at that individual because there were things that agree, you know, aggrieved me or that offended me or that they did that were unkind uh, and, and just downright mean. Um, mm-hmm. does that anger, you know, I get, we've been talking about, you know, family and upbringing, but there's other people in your life besides the random person who flips you the bird on the interstate that have a very big piece of your life that are not family. And that's the people you work with. Yes. And it's interesting that you said these were like bosses or supervisors because they had, uh, they, that's a betrayal. I mean, so that's more than just anger. That's you're feeling betrayed because they're in a position, ideally, where they're supposed to advocate for your best interests and do right by you. And so that was a betrayal of your trust, really. And that's where I find the the anger lies for the most part with all of us. It's feeling betrayed by people who are supposed to be trustworthy. And... I would say also, again, if I'm getting personal here, I would say also that changed my interactions with every future boss. Uh, it's uh, it's transactional. Uh, I can think of one boss that, uh, you know, the two, that it was a, um, you know, she was a, a boss of a, you know, boss of a boss, but she was very approachable and uh, I'm not much of a hugger, but she would bring it in and give a hug and give that kind of familial sense to it. And, uh, and then, yeah, you're right. Betrayed me. And you know what, even after that, I, I don't hug people at work. People will come in at conferences or, you know, come in and say, Oh, hi, how are you? And give the kind of, you know, butt out shoulder forward hug. And I'm just, I stick my hand out to shake my hands and that's lasted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Since, since gosh, the very early two thousands, late nineties. So yeah, that's, you just burned something in my memory. That's, a, that's still there. Well, that makes complete sense. And, um, you know, I'm a big, so when people say I have trust issues, I say, yay, I'm so glad you have trust issues because everyone should have trust issues. Not everyone is a trustworthy person and people need to earn our trust. And we need to really always be, you know, ensuring that people are earning our trust. However, I will say on the flip side of that, Matt, that, that what your response uh, is really common Um, And that's not, you know, a tragic thing in this case, what you're, what you're relaying to me right now, but it can be tragic in that where one person, you know, betrays us. Now we start to kind of project that onto everyone else. And that can be tragic for that person. It could, I always call it like letting that first betrayer win, because if we, if someone's, you know, betrayed us, and we want to move forward and now we're projecting that betrayal on everyone and we're losing out in the long run because we're not allowing ourselves to trust anyone um we're letting the betrayer win you know and so we have to be really cautious like we have to really have a mindset like well i was betrayed what did i learn from that i learned that i need to have a litmus test for other people in the future but if they pass the litmus test i can trust them until they until they betray me and I will let them know. And I will, you know, be forthright about it this time. I'm not going to like override it 
I'm not going to pretend. I'm going to use my words and I'm going to not betray myself in the process. And that can be very hard to do, I'd imagine, uh, not only with a loved one or a spouse or uh, an authority mm -hmm. figure, right? For a child to parent, that's an authority figure. Um, um, and and then, of course, the real authority figures are bosses at work. That can be really difficult to do. How how do you muster up the courage, especially when, you know, you know in the boss's situation, they've got a hand a handle over your purse strings or your wallet? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it would look different different depending on the relationship and on the situation. Um, but we can't betray ourselves. I think the bottom line. So again, to have a boundary with someone, they don't need to know that we are intending to have a boundary with them. They just experience that boundary. But I think the bottom line, another bottom line is that we're not responsible for other people's feelings. We're only responsible for our own feelings. A lot of us were taught as children, that we're responsible to keep the peace, to make mm -hmm. everyone happy, to be pleasers. And that's actually not possible. It's actually not humanly possible to be responsible for anyone else's feelings. And we will die trying, but we're only responsible at the end of the day for our own feelings. What questions about this topic did I not ask that I should have? I. I think you've done a really comprehensive job. Um, I, I just would want people to know about my podcast. It's angry at the right things and they can go there to learn more. I love it. Anger at the right things. I'm going to obviously put the link on the, on the show page, but yeah, definitely go check it out. Um, I'm going to go check it out uh, after this and, and, and take a, take a listen. Awesome. Well, thank you very much uh, for your time today. Any, any uh, final parting words or anything else before we uh, we call it a wrap? No, thank you, though, for having me. Thank you. Thank, thanks so much for being on. The Matt Fair Show, related content, publications, and MF Media LLC is in no way associated, endorsed, or authorized by any governmental agency, including the Social Security Administration, the Department of Health and Human Services, or the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The Matt Fair Show is in no way associated with, authorized, approved, endorsed, nor in any way affiliated with any company, trademark names, or other marks mentioned or referenced in or on The Matt Fair Show. Any such mention is for purpose of reference only. Any advice, generalized statistics, or opinions expressed are strictly those of the host and guests of The Matt Ferret Show. Although every effort has been made to ensure the contents of The Matt Ferret Show and related content are correct and complete, laws and regulations change quickly and often. The ideas and opinions expressed on The Matt Ferret Show aren't meant to replace the sage advice of healthcare, insurance, financial planning, accounting, or legal professionals. You are responsible for your financial decisions. It is your sole responsibility to independently evaluate the accuracy, correctness, or completeness of the content, services, and products of, and associated with, The Matt Ferret Show, MF Media LLC, and any related content or publications. The thoughts and opinions expressed on The Matt Ferret Show are those of the host and The Matt Ferret Show guests only, and are not the thoughts and opinions of any current or former employer of the host or guests of The Matt Ferret Show, nor is The Matt Ferret Show made by, on behalf of, or endorsed or approved by any current or former employer of the host or guests of The Matt Ferret Show.